The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a form that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, regular listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast may notice that there's something different about this episode because there was no author introducing themselves at the beginning of the show, as usual. And that's because after 200 interviews with authors, I'm going to deviate in this episode by presenting the audio from a presentation I made recently to the American Marketing Association Triangle Chapter in Raleigh, North Carolina. The title of the talk was Seven Concepts from 200 Marketing and Sales Books Every Marketer Needs to Know, and it's a celebration of the first 200 episodes. Don't worry about taking notes. You can download the slides and my script at this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. No registration is required. Just click on the link and they're all yours. And if your organization would like me to come make this presentation, just cover the travel costs and I'll do it. Of course, a bottle of single malt scotch would also be appreciated, but is not required. And now on with the show. Douglas Thank you. It's great to be here. I have a special place in my heart for people who serve on the board of their local AMA. I was the co-chair of programming at my AMA a couple years ago, and even with two guys doing it, it was a lot of work, and it took a lot of time. So for all the past and current board members, how about a round of applause? It was really stressful, too, being the programming chair, because you never really knew if the speakers were going to be any good. And, you know, sometimes you'd have really good ones, and then there was one time where we had one, and he was, he was really just awful. And I felt terrible afterwards. I felt like I'd let the whole organization down. And I'm always saying that because, Kelly, you're going to feel that way in just a few minutes. <laughs> this 
talk is a celebration of the first 200 episodes of the Marketing Book Podcast. And for the last four years, every Friday, I publish an interview with author of a new marketing or sales book. And before we go any further, raise your hand if you listen to podcasts. Oh, wow. So it looks like maybe about half of you. Edison Research tells us that about 25% of all Americans listen to podcasts now. And there are a lot of people who don't know what a podcast is. If that's your situation, you're not alone. A podcast is basically an audio file that's published online, part of a series that people can subscribe to. And I always enjoyed listening to marketing podcasts going back to probably 2005 when they were first getting started where you'd plug the iPod into the computer to download the episodes. And I always enjoyed the marketing podcasts. And I particularly enjoyed listening to interviews with authors. So, of course, being the impatient entrepreneur that I am, I realized there, was, there wasn't one that just did that, where it interviewed authors of marketing and sales books. So I took matters into my own hand, and I started the podcast I wanted to listen to. Now, being an impatient entrepreneur, I didn't exactly think through what I was doing. And as many of you know, I didn't realize when I started the podcast that I was actually going to need to read the book before each interview. Uh, you know, live and learn. And it's really cut into my scotch drinking. I know you all know that. It's been great fun, and I've learned a lot and met a lot of really interesting people. And tomorrow, episode 197, is uh, an interview with somebody in this room. Stan Phelps. About the book that uh, he has co-authored with David Rendell, who's also here, Pink Goldfish. And Stan, you're a great guest. You put up with a lot of my stupid jokes. You know, I appreciate that. Anyway, the podcast has gained some accolades, and I really enjoyed what I'm doing. LinkedIn's named it as one of their best marketing podcasts, and now has listeners in 150 countries around the world. Now, before we get to those seven concepts from these 200 marketing and sales books that every marketer really needs to know, I want to answer a question that... I know you're all wondering about. I even got it when we had lunch beforehand. The question is, all those books, what's the best one? What's the one that would really help me a lot? What's the one that's had the biggest impact on your career and, and your learning as a marketer? And so you might think, oh, it's you know, something by Seth Godin or maybe David Merriman Scott or uh, Jay Baer or... Uh, Maybe uh, Philip Kotler, the father of modern marketing. All of these people I've been honored to interview. And they're all fantastic books. But the book that is the best of all is by Sarah Cooper. It's 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings. How to Get By Without Even Trying. Just that title spoke to me. Yes, I did interview her for a special April Fool's Day episode, but it was tremendous. She's an engineer. She used to work at Google and Yahoo. And Let me just show you two of the tricks that are in her book that have just worked wonders for me. One is, when you're in a meeting, translate percentages into fractions. Okay? So if somebody says, about 25% of people click on this button, what you then say is, so about one in four... And then you make a note of it, and your math skills will be the envy of everyone in that room. Here's one more. Ask the presenter to go back a slide. Okay, it doesn't really matter where in the presentation it is, but everyone 
there will think you're paying really close attention. And then you can go back to what you were doing, which was checking Instagram. Okay, so 200 books. Oh, there's so many things I could talk about. And how do you boil it down to seven things? Well, there's more things I'm not going to talk about than what I am going to talk about. I'm trying to boil it down to seven things that I think a lot of marketers and particularly the businesses they work for struggle with. It just comes up over and over and over again. And it's really easy to become distracted by so much that's going on in marketing. So just fair warning, we're not going to talk about a lot of tactics. We're not going to talk about email marketing, social media marketing, influencer marketing, video marketing, search engine marketing, pay-per-click, search engine optimization, all those kinds of things. Although we can certainly in the question and answer section. But fair warning, I am going to say a few things that might upset some of you. So just be ready, okay? A few things might upset you. All right, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Let's start with the bad news and then we'll finish with the good news. Okay, number one, marketers have an image problem. Marketers have an image problem. There was a study a couple years ago by the Fournays Group and it was uh, of CEOs and their perceptions of marketers. And who can guess what percent of CEOs trust marketers? One in four. You are good. About 20%. Okay, so in that study, that was that one study. But why did only 20% of them trust their chief marketing officers, their marketing people? Anybody have an idea why? What's that? Yes, they could not prove dollar input to revenue generated. That's pretty much the whole presentation, so if you want to... No, no the, too many marketers are disconnected from the financial realities of the companies they work for. And the truth is, there are a lot of people that you work with or that you know who think of marketers as arts and crafts party planners. So in the book... The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader by Thomas Barta and Patrick Barwise. Barta had been a McKinsey partner, and they did this massive study of, uh, it was like tens of thousands of people about marketers, people who worked for marketers, people who were colleagues, people who hired marketers. And they were trying to figure out what the most successful marketers were doing and, and what the issues were. And I'd like to quote from the study uh, where they said, early in our study, we spoke with international CMOs about their work, asking what do you do? It was interesting how different people answered. Some said things like, I manage the brand, or I run our marketing. Words like these don't go down well with company leaders. In the words of marketing professor and columnist Mark Ritson, too many marketers go into a room full of executives from their company and warble on about the need to build brand awareness and brand equity. Nobody gives a F except you, and presumably you're already on board. Good marketers work out how to link what they do with what other stakeholders with with other stakeholders within the organization want: employee retention, employee improved profits, clearer leadership. Similarly, in the book *The Four A's of Marketing* by Jagdish Sheth and Rahindra Sisodia, they talk about a, a similar thing. And there's many more books I could quote from about this, where they say. CEOs and corporate boards are growing increasingly skeptical of the marketing function's ability to deliver reasonable returns on resources invested. 
Scholars have suggested that marketing has lost its seat at the table when it comes to making strategic decisions at many companies because of its failure to perform. So what's a marketer to do? Maybe this isn't good news. Well, Barda and Barwise in their book, 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader, have a very clear recommendation based on this massive study they did. Get in the revenue camp. That's what the most successful marketing leaders do in the minds of company leaders and also in reality. So in my interview with Debbie Gagish, the author of Rise of the Revenue Marketer, she said several times in the interview, the CMO who is related to revenue stays and the CMO who is not related to revenue leaves. It's as simple as that. So if you're a marketer, what are some of the things you could be doing? Well, there's lots you could be doing, but you could start with questions. And some of these questions may help to educate your colleagues. I call them revenue camp questions. Questions that you should try to get the answer to, that you should know. Like, what are our company financial goals? What are our company sales goals? And one of the most important questions you could ask as a marketer before doing a marketing plan is, who is our most profitable customer? And if you ask that and your company doesn't know, then you're helping to lead them in the right direction. And similarly, a question that doesn't come up very much or thought about a lot of companies is, what's the average lifetime value of a customer? How much do they spend with you a year and how many years do you tend to keep them? Look at that number when you're trying to build your, your marketing budget. Number two, the most successful marketers have deep insights into their customers. I want to quote from Seth Godin's new book, This is Marketing. Marketing, the effective kind, is about understanding our customers' worldview and desires so we can connect with them. It's focused on being missed when you're gone, on bringing more than people expect to those who trust us. It seeks volunteers, not victims. There are three kinds of companies. Now I want you to think about which one you work for. There are companies that are focused primarily on themselves, their operations, and their products and services. There are other companies that are focused primarily on their competition, even if they don't admit it. Much of what they do from a strategic level is driven by what their competition's doing. And third, companies that are focused primarily on their customer. It doesn't mean they're not focused on those first two things, but they're focused primarily on their customer. Which one of those companies do you think Amazon is? Customer orientation. They do a lot of things well, but they're obsessed with their customers. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, the word is, when he goes to a meeting at Amazon, he insists on there being an empty chair at the conference room table. And the reason why is because he points at it because that's, that represents the customer. And in many meetings, he's having to point at it to remind his people what their focus needs to be more than on whatever part of the business they're, they're working on. And the last time I checked, Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world. So how can you as a company start to maybe become a little more focused on your customers, maybe have some more understanding of them? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of or, or used the term buyer personas. Oh, wow, a lot of you. That's terrific. Well, this is a marketing group. So um, <laughs> this truly is one of my favorite books. And we use it at our agency when my content director showed up a couple years ago. He was a journalist, business journalist. That was the first book I had him read. And Del Ravella defines buyer personas. In the simplest terms, buyer personas are examples or archetypes of real buyers that allow marketers to craft strategies to promote products and services to the people who might buy them. And at the, the core of her book 
are what she calls the five insights of buying. And if you just get some insights into those five areas, which I'm not going to go into, even just a little bit better than your competition, it really pays big rewards and not just for your marketing. You start to get these insights from your customers about other products or different ways you could be running your company. So I would urge all of you to go to buyerpersona.com and she's got a lot of resources, including two eBooks about buyer personas and one's about the five rings of insight uh, and download those. They're really well worth reading. Another book is Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy by Kristen Zhivago. And so naturally, a, a book with that title just warms the cockles of my heart. But at the core of her book and her whole approach to this great success she's achieved for her clients over the years, can you guess what the linchpin of all of that is? Interviewing your customers. <laughs> it's the same as the buyer personas. The one thing you have to do when you're developing these is you've actually got to talk to your customers. Now, in the case of Christian Javago's book and buyer personas, there's a certain way you need to do it. Just follow what, what they recommend because a lot of companies have difficulty gleaning insights from their customers. And similarly, in Martin Lindstrom's book, Small Data, The Tiny Clues That Undercover Big Trends, he even writes about one successful company that now mandates that their employees spend one overnight stay with a customer every year just to make sure they're gaining insights and spending time with them. And no, I'm not saying sleep with your customers. I, I saw you over there. Okay. So to sum up that part, the most important word in marketing and in sales is empathy. Empathy. Now, that's not sympathy. Sympathy is uh, sorrow or compassion or pity for someone. Empathy is the capacity or ability to imagine yourself in the situation of another. Number three, the most effective marketing plans are not overly complicated. In Malcolm McDonald's second edition of his book, Malcolm McDonald on Marketing Planning, his 46th book, by the way, he talks about these two questions that you need to have in a marketing plan. And he even goes on to say that anyone on a board of directors who can't answer these two questions should be sacked. He doesn't put up with a lot of foolishness. Now, the two questions I'm going to show you, the whole book explains how to get the answer to these two questions. And it's one of the few books I've actually read twice. I really, really liked it. And the two questions are, what are your key target markets in order of priority? And in your key target markets, what is your company's sources of differential advantage? Now, the book by Alan Dibb, The One-Page Marketing Plan. <laughs> oh, you really want me to go back a slide so you can take a picture? Sure. I'm going to be able to provide all these slides to everybody here. Yeah, I guess I should have said that. Oh, great. Now they're not going to pay attention. Right. So his book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, he, he talks about how it's really a terrific book. Now, you have to say a whole book to explain a one-page marketing plan? Well, yeah, you do. But in the book, he explains that there's really just nine things you need to have in a marketing plan that's going to work. And you can summarize those all on one page. Now, I'm not going to go through every part of this, but you can see on the slides there that there's three sections. There's before, during, and after. And before is all that period of time when you are wrestling with what is your company? Uh, do, your, do people want your product? How to find out? 
And at all that point until somebody knows who you are. Then the second part is during, which is the point at which a customer or prospect knows who you are all the way to when they become a customer. They've given you money. And that could be a long time. So it's got like lead generation or lead nurturing, things like that. The third part has to do with what kind of experience are you giving to your customers? Are you even engineering it? How can you sell more to your existing customers? And how can you engineer referrals from those folks? So take a note of that third part, because a lot of marketing plans seem to stop or go limp when it gets to the part about, great, we've got customers. How are we going to sell more to them? How can we get referrals? What can we do about our experience? And the reason why so many companies don't focus on that aspect after they have the customers is because they're addicted to sex. Yeah, baby. baby. Thank you, Stan Phelps. So maybe I should explain. In Noah Fleming's book, Evergreen, he talks about how companies are addicted to the sexiness of going after a new customer, the thrill of the hunt, the conquest. And then, much like a one-night stand, they never call again. Instead, keeping your customers and selling more to them is more like farming. Not quite as sexy, not quite exciting, but any number of studies that show that's where the real money and the profits are. So let's talk some more about that. Your your most powerful marketing is the customer experience that you deliver. And I can't help but bring to mind one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou, where she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Now, Why is that more important now than maybe just a few years ago, the experience that your customers have? Exactly. This thing called the internets, ratings and review sites, social media. Everybody has a megaphone now to talk about a bad experience they have with your company, even if they didn't have a bad experience. So that's where Anthony Annarino's book, The Lost Art of Closing, He talks about how we've gone from this era of caveat emptor, which means let the buyer beware. And now we're in an era of caveat venditor, meaning let the seller beware. You can't escape this sort of thing. So it's all coming back to the experience that you offer your customers. In Brian Solis' book, X, the experience when business meets design, he talks about a Bain and Company study where they looked at 362 companies and they polled the companies and said, do you think you're delivering a superior experience? And 80% of them said they did. Okay, so Bain and Company then went to all the customers. Only 8% thought they were getting a superior experience. So there's a big disconnect, and there still is. And that's why there's been a lot of books on the Marketing Book Podcast about different aspects of how to engineer a better customer experience. Just like, think of Disney. They don't leave anything to chance, and they still have things that come up but they really try to engineer a great experience. Now, do you think companies are doing this because they don't like getting yelled at? United seems to enjoy getting yelled at. (laughs) They do it because that's where the money is. In Nicholas Webb's book, What Customers Crave, he talks about how 70% of Americans are willing to pay more for a better experience. And he also talks about how the the chance of selling to a new customer is less than 20% generally speaking. But the 
chance of selling to an existing customer is 60 to 70%. And also, on average, an initial customer is worth 10 times what their initial purchase is. So let's go to the next one. Number five, the best marketers understand sales. Are there any salespeople here? Anybody in sales? All right. Yes, sir. Very good. You're in sales? Well, you know, Daniel Pink has a book, and he'll say, we're, you know, we're all in sales in one way or another. I interview a lot of authors of sales books, and the reason why is because I like them, but also the best marketers understand sales, and it's even more important now than it was just a few years ago. And it points to the fundamental changes in the way that people are buying. People are buying differently, and yet so many of these authors talk to me about how the sales world is still trying to sell like the old days. Now, I mentioned the old days. So, let me give you an example. When I was a kid, rocking a bow tie, and my dad wanted to buy a car, where was the first place that he would go to get information? The car dealership. Right. Now, why? There was no internet. Thank you, Chuck Hester. <laughs> and that's where the information was. So that was what was in Daniel Pink's book that I just mentioned, uh, another book, uh, To Sell as Human, where he talked about it was an era of information asymmetry. So for the longest time, the seller had the information and the buyer wanted it. The seller could use that as leverage to extract a pound of flesh. Okay, we're now in an era of information symmetry. So to make a point, a couple years ago when my wife wanted to buy a car, where do you think the last place she went to to get information? The dealership. That's right. Where do you think she went? How did she get information then? What, internet? Anything else? Social media? Review sites? I mean, talk to her friends. Your buyers are no different from that. So a lot of you may have heard of this study by CEB, which is now part of Gartner, a couple years back. But it talked about how in a business-to-business situation, the buyers are now at minimum 57% through their purchase process before they first reach out to the seller. And Forrester will tell you it's 90%. Obviously, it varies by industry and by product. In Debbie Gagish's book that I mentioned earlier, Rise of the Revenue Marketer, she has this slide, and it shows pretty much sales involvement before the internet, let's say, when Douglas's dad was buying a car. You can see how sales was involved pretty much from the outset. Now, in the post-internet era, you can see where sales gets involved much, much later. The, these buyers are ninjas. They don't even know a lot of times they're out there. So who best to try and fill in that big gaping void? What department? Marketing. Yeah, I mean, the other places too, but this is where all this has gone. And in this book, Align to Achieve, which is all about sales and marketing alignment by Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin. Throughout the book, they acknowledge this and they say, sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make sales easier. Number six, content is the atomic particle of marketing. I want you to thank me for not saying content is king. Now, (laughs) content is the atomic particle of marketing. I didn't come up with that in my own marketing laboratory while wearing my lab coat. It's also the title of Rebecca Lieb's book, Content, the Atomic Particle of Marketing. It's all about a terrific book about content marketing strategy. One of the people I interviewed on the Marketing Book podcast was Tom Fishburne. He's also known as the Marketunist, and he's a uh, 
graduate of Harvard Business School. He worked uh, as a marketer for many blue chip firms before becoming a cartoonist 15 years ago. And this was all about, his book is called Your Ad Ignored Here, and it reviewed sort of the last 15 years. So in the interview, I asked him, you know, what is your source of inspiration for so many of these brilliant cartoons? His answer was very interesting. He said, well, the number one source of inspiration for my cartoons is making fun of businesses and marketers who think they still have a captive audience. In Andrew Essex's book, The End of Advertising, Why It Had to Die and the Creative Revolution to Come, he talked about the decline of traditional media's grip on information as a gatekeeper. And he also talked about the growing amounts of technology that is available to avoid unwanted marketing and sales messages. The era of that captive audience is a shadow of its former self. Has anyone here ever seen the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail? So if you haven't, King Arthur comes up to the castle with some of his uh, men and they demand entrance to this castle. Let us in, I'm King Arthur. And they're greeted by this uh, really rude French soldier on the parapet played by John Cleese. And he won't let them in. He doesn't care who they are. Uh, He hurls insults like, your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberry, which I guess is really trash talking in the Middle Ages. So my point of showing you this is that that is the paradigm for trying to reach your customers now. They're not sitting there waiting for your message. And they're not really going to let that drawbridge down until you have produced some content that is helpful, educational, entertaining. Seth Godin, he'll tell you that content marketing is the only marketing left. And in Joe Polizzi's book, Epic Content Marketing, he defines content marketing is a strategic marketing approach focused on creating and distributing valuable, relevant, and consistent content to attract and retain a clearly defined audience and ultimately to drive profitable action. And similarly, you hear about how all companies can be media companies now. If you think about it, anybody can publish. Even a knucklehead can start a podcast. And that you need to think like a publisher. And this concept that he has of audience is very helpful for companies to understand that we're not trying to sell to them first. We're trying to build an audience of customers providing helpful information that we can then sell to them. If you try to sell to them first, it's what Gary Vaynerchuk calls the 19-year-old dude move, which is about a 19-year-old dude who thinks he's going to get some serious romantic action on a first date. So another concept that's just enormously helpful, and and even the New York Times declared this as a revolutionary marketing approach, is to answer your customers' questions. I know this. (laughs) I'm kind of going out there. But Marcus Sheridan, in his book, he talks about how he saved his Virginia pool company from the 2008 uh, real estate crash. He was just about out of business. He was at risk of having to declare bankruptcy, but he refused to give up. So he just started publishing answers to any question he ever got from a customer on his website, like how much does a pool cost uh, and the pros and cons of, of his product. And he was then able to turn his website for his pool company into the number one pool website in the world. And by doing that, his customer's trust soared just by answering these questions, telling them why you shouldn't buy a fiberglass pool, things like that. And also their fear of doing business with him plummeted. And one other thing I want to mention about your content, and we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but it's about storytelling. Has anyone here heard about the concept of storytelling in content? Okay, let's keep that word inside this room. Do not go back to your companies and say, hey, boss, 
we want to do storytelling. Or they're going to think you are not only an arts and crafts party planner, but you're also a camp counselor. So <laughs> storytelling is greatly misunderstood, and it's not about making things up. It's not about telling false tales. It's about presenting information in story form, and it works really well. And the reason why is that the human brain, long before we ever had writing, it was wired for stories, and it works really well in a sales situation. Just remember, all the science points to facts tell, but stories sell. And there have been several books on the podcast about this art of storytelling. The one thing you really have to watch out for as it relates to your content is what Mark Schaefer has dubbed content shock. Has anyone here heard of content shock? According to Google, if you took all the information that was ever published, created from the beginning of recorded history until the year 2003, that amount is now being published on the internet every two days. So in his book, The Content Code, he talks about the fact that you can't just hit the publish button anymore and expect things to happen. At that point, you're only about halfway through. There's six additional things that the most effective content marketers are doing to make sure that their content gets beyond the content chalk, gets to the right people so that they can take action. Number seven, we've got a cartoon here I'll describe, and it's a group of wolves howling at the moon. The one says to the other, my question is, are we making an impact? So there was a study by Adobe a couple years back called Digital Distress, What's Keeping Marketers Up at Night? And they talked about how 76% of those marketers, 76%, that would be about three, and three out of four? Yeah. Yeah. So about three out of four felt that marketing had changed more in the past two years than the previous 50 so while marketing is changing a lot, it's also much more measurable. And 68% of marketers are feeling increased pressure to prove their ROI. Does anyone here feel increased pressure to prove ROI to whoever's writing the checks back where you are? I think, I think everyone is. So one thing, just want to mention a couple things that can help you wrap your mind around this. And one of them is back to that other book, Aligned to Achieve. The authors talk about and granted, this is more of a B2B situation, but measuring your pipeline. You all, the salespeople, you all probably heard of pipeline. So a lot of people will measure traffic. They'll measure leads, whatever, whatever that means. Somebody who's signed up for your email newsletter. You know, there's different qualifications, but pipeline is sales opportunities. You probably heard that term, opportunities. That's where marketing and sales have both agreed that this is an opportunity, but more importantly, sales has determined that fits the profile of, a, of an ideal customer for us, and we could possibly turn that into revenue. That's one of the best things to measure because you could be generating a lot of leads, and as Jack Lemon said in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, does anyone know what he said? He said, the leads, the leads are weak. To which Alec Baldwin said, the leads are weak. You're weak. <laughs> if you do anything in sales related to Glen Gary, Glen Ross, you are not going to do well these days. <laughs> Every sales book author talks about that. So another thing that is introduced in Garrett Moon's book, The 10X Marketing Formula, is this idea called the 1MTM. Now, he's the co-founder of a marketing software company called CoSchedule. And what they did is they realized that it was pretty worthless to try and measure 29 different metrics. So what they started to do is they started to focus on, they kept looking at the others, but the whole company was aligned around one metric. And they would change over time, depending upon their level of maturity in, in content marketing. 
But here's an example of what he's talking about. So in the early days, they realized they just needed more traffic. So they started to build those muscles, teaching them how to get more traffic to their website. Then, once they were confident that they knew how to do that part, they then started to want to build a more loyal audience. So they really started keeping track of email subscribers. And that they had to do different things, but they started to learn how to focus on that. And the whole company was focused on that. They talked about it every day, whatever that key metric was. Then, after they were confident that they had a, a lot of email subscribers and they were a loyal audience, the focus then became on just the qualified leads. Now, it doesn't mean they weren't generating qualified leads in the beginning, but the point here is they focused on one thing, and that shows enormous discipline for a company to be able to do that, to focus on that. The other problem is a lot of companies jump to that third column there. I just want more leads. I just want more leads. <laughs> but I want to generate more leads on my website, but they're not going through the paces, and they're kind of skipping over the important ones. One book that's really important, that's really helpful, is Michael Brenner's book, The Content Formula. And in it, he talk, walks you through all, it's funny, in the book, he says, I'm going to warn you, there's going to be some math here. <laughs> but it's not hard math. It's like um, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. I brought this up with him during the interview. I said, I was expecting like calculus here. No, but it's a way that you can start to find properly measure, and you can start to find that one metric that matters. And in Paul Reitzer's book, The Marketing Performance Blueprint, Strategies and Technologies to Build and Measure, business success. One thing he said was, if you can't measure it, don't do it. But with a nod to an example of meaningless metrics, he reminds us, social media reach is a deceptive metric that can give a false sense of progress. So to quote two great Americans from the 20th century, both of whom spoke with German accents, Peter Drucker you probably heard this. He said, what gets measured gets improved. And Albert Einstein said, however, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. Okay, who wants some good news? You do? Okay. See me afterward. No. <laughs> to take it back to that book that I mentioned, 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader. Our interviews with the most successful marketers have one thing in common. A top management viewpoint. Rather than talking about marketing, they spoke of the business as a whole. They didn't talk a lot about advertising, branding, or customer insights. They spoke about revenue, costs, and profit, and how they could serve the customer better. The real marketing leaders were concerned with one thing, how marketing helps the company achieve its biggest priorities. Now, in that same book, they talked about something that's an enormous opportunity for everyone in this room. They said the 21st century marketing is suffering from a skills crisis. And that's why I keep reading about how the salaries of marketers that know what the hell they're doing are going to double in the next five years. But wait, there's more. CMOs are becoming like the training ground for a lot of CEOs. McDonald's CEO, guess which department he used to work in? Marketing. Thank you, marketing. <laughs> These sales guys are right on it. So you think about it. Now they're having to understand much more about the customer experience, which involves lots of operations. They're having to understand a lot more about their customers than they used to. They understand much more about the sales and how people buy from them. It's a great training ground for all these people that are ultimately running their companies. So thanks very much for the opportunity to speak today.
Thank you. And that closes the book on episode 201 of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to the presentation as much as I did giving it. If you'd like me to give this talk to your organization, get in touch. I love meeting Marketing Book Podcast listeners. To get the slides and my script from this presentation, they're available at this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Pamela Wilson back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about her new book, Master Content Strategy, how to maximize your reach and boost your bottom line every time you hit publish. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong.